you would take your Bibles and turn them to that passage in Mark that was just read. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles for you on the back on the round tables. I'd invite you to go pick one up. You can do that now. It's totally fine. Uh, And if you don't know where Mark is, there's a table of contents for you in the front of the Bible or the page number of those Bibles on the round table is there for you in the bulletin. Let me pray for us before we begin to look at this passage. Great physician and good shepherd, would you nourish our souls with your word, which communicates your presence, which is life for the world? And may we eat and be satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. One time Jesus asked this question. He said, what does it profit a person if he should gain the whole world? And lose his soul. What does it profit a person if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Behind that question stands this assumption. That your soul is very valuable. In fact, it's the most valuable thing you possess. There's nothing else in the whole world that you could possess that would be more valuable than your soul. What does it profit a person? They should gain the whole world and lose their soul. The soul is the most central, most fundamental part of who we are. It works itself out in our emotions, in our thought life, in our bodily life, in our relationships, but it's deeper than all those combined. Your soul is who you are to the core and who God sees you as to the core. And your soul is very valuable. So let me ask you a question this morning. How is your soul? Do you even know? This morning we are going to talk about soul care. We're going to talk about the need for soul care. We're going to talk about the barriers to soul care, and then we're going to talk about the path forward to have our souls cared for. So let's begin. The need for soul care. In the passage that was just read, we learn in verse 30 that the disciples have just returned from this mission where they go out and they teach and they heal, and they were very successful. But they're not only successful, they're also physically exhausted. Verse 31, at the very end of it, tells us that they had no time to eat. I wonder if you've ever been like that, where your schedule was so packed that you had no time to eat. One of the things that I love about flying is that, well, at least you used to can kind of get away because you were cut off from technology. Not anymore. Thank you for making internet available on our flights. But... One of the things that I don't like about flying is, especially when you're flying to the East Coast, doing a cross-country flight, you can have back-to-back commutes, and it can be hard to figure out your eating schedule, right? One time I was going to Chattanooga, and I was flying there. I had an early morning breakfast, but I was just going from back-to-back-to-back-to-back things, and then finally I land in Chattanooga. I haven't been able to eat all day, 
It's 11 o'clock at night, and everything, by the time I get to my hotel, it's past midnight. Of course, that's only like, you know, nine for me. So I'm doing okay, but I'm hungry, except for the fact that no place is open. I can't even find a Waffle House, right? And I am starving. My schedule that day was so packed that I didn't have any time to eat. Have you ever been like that? The disciples are like that. They come to this place where their schedules are so packed that they are tired and they are weary. They are exhausted. You know, God made us so that our bodies need to be rejuvenated through food and rest. And if you don't take care of your body with food and rest, you will get exhausted. Your body will fail you. Let me ask you, do you feel like the disciples this morning? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? And I'm not talking about the exhaustion that comes from one late night. I'm not talking about the exhaustion that comes from a hard day's work. I'm talking about that kind of exhaustion that a three-day weekend or a seven-day vacation will not fix. You know the kind I'm talking about. That perpetual weariness that you think no amount of small vacation rest or whatever or day off or time off is going to do it. Something else is wrong. Well, I want you to hear Jesus' invitation this morning. Verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus invites the disciples to come away and to rest a while because they are physically exhausted. But they're not just physically exhausted, they're also spiritually exhausted. Notice that in verse 32, they go to a desolate place by themselves. Why a desolate place by themselves? I mean, you can rest without being in a desolate place, and you can rest without being by yourselves. You can physically rest. Why a desolate place by themselves? To give them space for silence and solitude and reflection. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, writes, Any relationship, if it's going to grow, needs private space, time together without an agenda, where you can get to know each other. Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness all kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. You can't get to know God on the fly. But many of us have tried, haven't we? We've tried to get to know God on the fly. And where has it left us? It's left us feeling like Bilbo Baggins in the Fellowship of the Ring. Do you know the scene? Bilbo Baggins is talking to Gandalf and he says, I am old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I am beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts. I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. I love that. Like butter spread over too much bread. I love that because it's such an accurate description. 
and I hate it. I hate it because it's such an accurate description of me. Like butter spread over too much bread. And what about you? Do you feel all thin, worn out, like butter spread over too much bread? Well, here are the symptoms. Irritability. Hypersensitivity, either to criticism or your circumstance. Restlessness, that compulsive need to work. Always checking your email. The inability to experience emotion. Like the inability to laugh or cry or be moved. The inability to attend to other people's needs. If, if one more person asked me to do one more thing... Or maybe that perpetual desire to escape into some fantasy world or some other reality. Does that describe you? Do any of those describe you? Well, if it does, I would suggest that you need to care for your soul. You need to care for your soul and you need to hear Jesus' invitation. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down, and you will find rest for your souls. But that invitation, it's hard to accept, isn't it? It is so hard to accept that invitation to come away to a desolate place and rest a while, to silence and to solitude. I mean, why can't we accept it? Well, that brings us to the barriers to soul care. And there are external barriers to soul care. The disciples knew this all too well. Verse 31 says that they weren't able to eat, to eat because many were coming and going. Now, I've got to be honest. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I know this. It sounds busy. And the disciples were busy. How much more are we? I mean, life is busy. Text invade our worship services, emails invade our Sabbaths, alerts interrupt our conversations, and how could you ever have space for solitude, rest, and reflection? And the reality is, is that we live in an unprecedented time. Did you know this? We live in an unprecedented time, a time where we are getting more and more and more and more and more. More information faster, and it gives us the delusion that we can keep up with it all. And that we have to keep up with it all. I mean, just think about your long-distance relationships. Do you think that, you know, now with social media and with uh, video conferencing, we feel guilty because we think that we're supposed to keep up with people millions of miles away. How many pen pals do you think people thought they could have 100 years ago? Three? Two? But we think we're supposed to keep up with everyone. Because we can. Can't we? It's all right there. I mean, we are so busy. Did you know that the average American is required to learn how to work 20,000 pieces of technology? From your smart car to your smartphone to your oven 
and they're all infuriating. And we are supposed to learn all of them. And who can keep up with it? And the, the, the surplus of information that is coming at us at a rapid pace. So think about this. Up until about 1500, it was possible to read every book that had ever been written. Did you know that? Like, people did that. John Calvin, Martin Luther, they did that, right? Uh, if you're in the healthcare profession today, if you're in the healthcare profession and you read two healthcare articles a day, that'd be doing pretty good, right? If you read two healthcare articles a day for a year, at the end of the year, you would be a thousand years behind on your reading. I mean, the surplus of information. I can't tell you how many books there are written on Paul. That's my field. The Apostle Paul. I can't read them all. Not possibly. But we think we're supposed to. Because we can search them all on the internet. All 30,000 of them. Can't we? I mean, think about this. No wonder we feel busy. I mean, the, the two questions... The two questions that, well, let me just, let me put it, yeah, the two questions that people, um, well, when someone asks you how you're, how you're doing, the two responses that you probably give are either well, fine, or busy. But here's the irony. We're so busy, how can we know if we're well or not? We're so busy, how can we even know? Richard Swenson, in his book, Margin, says, when you reach the limits of your resources or ability, you have no margin left. Yet, because we don't even know what margin is, we don't realize it's gone. We know that something is not right, but we can't solve the puzzle beyond that. Swenson is getting us to picture our life as a page. I want to picture your life as a page. What does it look like? Is there margin? You know, like your kindergartner taught you, teacher taught you to leave room in the margins? Is there margin? Or is it maximized? Or is it overloaded? Where you have words on top of words on top of words? Most of us, I think, are either maximized or overloaded. And Swenson points out that you can be overloaded for a little while. But if you live like that, quote, reliably bad things are going to happen. And it's so true. Life is busy. And because life is busy, it's hard to get away to rest and silence and solitude. But life is not just busy. I mean, think about all the needs that people have. People are needy. And we, we've the disciples experienced this firsthand. I mean, when Jesus invites them to go away for a little while, verse 33 says that the people found out about it in the surrounding villages, and they rush ahead of them to get there on time, to beat them to the punch. It's like, what about Bob? You've seen what about Bob? What about Bob? Bill Murray plays this uh, psychiatric patient, and he's going to see his psychiatrist. And his psychiatrist says to him, Bob, I'm going on vacation, and I think you need to take a vacation too. You need to take a vacation from your problems. And Bob says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that by figuring out where my psychiatrist vacation home is on Martha's Vineyard, and I'm going to go stalk him there. Listen, 
Someone who goes and stalks their psychiatrist at his vacation home is seriously needy. <laughs> they have serious problems. And you know what? These people who rush ahead and meet Jesus and his disciples there in the wilderness, they are seriously needy. They have, seriously, they have serious problems. And how would you respond when you got there and saw them? You've been working, slaving, 24-7. And you were bone dry and ragged. And finally, you have a vacation, a time to get away. And you go, and all of a sudden, you get called away. Because there's an emergency at work or something else. Or an emergency in the family. How do you respond? Look at how Jesus responds. Verse 34. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Where we see an annoying mob with bottomless needs... Jesus sees a hungry flock. Where we see a problem we had better avoid, Jesus sees a need he wants to meet. Where we see a totally draining person, a TDP, you know those people. Where we see a totally draining person, Jesus sees a desperate, hungry person. And then he begins to teach them. You know what that tells me? Jesus had margin. Jesus had enough margin that his schedule could be interrupted. And it was okay. And he could teach people out of that margin. Well, he is teaching people, and it gets late. And then, verse 35, the disciples, they begin to fret about feeding all these people. I mean, there's 5,000 men there, and that doesn't even count the women and children. What are they supposed to do? I mean, one more problem. And one more need. Their life is busy. People are needy. And that's why most often, we have to be told to rest. When I was um, in high school, I was a youth intern at um, a large church in Memphis, Tennessee. And the summers were incredibly busy. And we had an event every day. We want, went on one trip a month that we were supposed to organize and lead. It was crazy. And we were teaching all the time. Well, the gal who was over the, uh, she was the female youth director. She was over the, the girls uh, in, our, in the youth group. She was there up working late one night, and a pastor came in, and I heard him say to her, you are exhausted. You need to go home now. And she goes, but, but I have to teach tomorrow night. He goes, no, you don't. I will teach for you. Get home. I don't want to see you coming back tomorrow. And isn't that often the case? That was the case for the disciples. I mean, this invitation isn't really an invitation. Verse 31, come away. Jesus doesn't say like, if you like to think about this, it's on offer. Here's an option. No, he commands them. It's an imperative. Come away with me to a desolate place. Why did the disciples have to be commanded to rest? Well, that brings us, I think, to the internal barriers. 
See, aren't just in external barriers. There are also internal barriers, like the fact that we feel competent and responsible. Responsible for all those needs, don't we? The disciples did. In verses 35 and 36, when it starts getting late, they start feeling very anxious. You know what that tells me? They thought they were responsible for feeding the crowd. They thought it was on them. You know, if you think that it's all on you and it's all on you, that's a heavy burden. I was talking yesterday to Pam, and we were talking about the fact that I feel like in a context where 90% of people are either unfamiliar or um, not convinced of infant baptism, every time we have a baptism of a child, I feel like I have to like convince them and give all the reasons and the justification for it. And, uh, and Pam looked at me, and she said, that is a heavy burden to bear, that you feel like every time you get up to, to, at, a, at, a, at a baptism of a child that you have to convince people of the biblical grounds for it. That is a heavy burden to bear. And she goes, and I don't think the Lord wants you to bear that burden. And that was something I needed to hear. Because it's not just with infant baptisms. There are so many burdens that I take on that Jesus doesn't want me to take on. What burdens are you bearing that the Lord would not have you bear? Or you feel like somehow you're responsible and you're competent and if you just work hard enough and try hard enough and put enough energy and enough effort in it, you can do it. Well, listen. If you think like that, you will never care for your soul. You will never care for your soul because of all the expectations. Expectations that you put on yourself, expectations that you feel like others put on you, expectations that you feel like God puts on you. And those expectations will leave you feeling guilty. And when you feel guilty, guilt kills soul care. You will not be able to come away. Because you will think, no, I... If I take time for myself, I mean, how can I take time for my family when so many families are breaking apart? How can I take a, a day off when people's pains don't take a day off? When my employees need me, when my employer, or when I'll disappoint my employer. But here's the truth. The truth is, is that is, if you do not care for your soul and if you do not take time for silence and solitude and soul care and care for your soul, you will not have the spiritual depth you need to care for others. The world does not need a thinner version of you and me. They need a thicker version of you and me. Your kids, your family, your boss, your work, your calling, your church, your community group, they do not need a more spread-thin version of you. They need a more deeply rooted version of you, deeply rooted and abiding in Jesus Christ. And until you get that, until I get that, we'll never be able to do this. So how do we do it? Well, the first way that we do it is that we have to believe the good news of the gospel, which tells us 
that it is okay not to be okay. It is okay not to be okay. And when you come to that place, then you can start on this path. So let's look at the path. The first step on this path, this journey, is that we have to recognize our humanity. I think that it's interesting that we find needy disciples and a needy crowd, and both the need is over food. There's nothing like food to tell us that we are finite and we have to stop to eat to live. There's nothing more humbling than eating. We don't think about it enough, mostly because food is in abundance in our culture. But the very fact that you will die if you don't stop to eat, or that, that you will, you know, get hangry if you don't eat for a while, suggests that you are finite, that you actually have to stop to care for yourself. And, and notice that, that, that Jesus... When the food is provided, he stops, verse 41, and he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing. He prays. A blessing that probably they said in the Mishnah, the collection of um, rabbinic teachings where it said, uh, Blessed are you, God Almighty, King of the universe, for you bring forth bread from the earth. Stopping to give thanks in prayer before a meal? Well, that's an act of dependence. Jesus thanks God because in the fullness of humanity, he knows that God has to provide. And knowing that God has to provide for the food means that he knows that God has to provide for the life. That his life is totally dependent on God. Did you know that Jesus was the most dependent person that ever lived? John 5 30 and 5.19, in both of those texts, Jesus says, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Jesus was totally dependent on the Father. He was the most dependent human being that ever lived. Paul Miller says it like this, Jesus is without question the most dependent human being who has ever lived because he can't do life on his own. He prays, and he prays, and he prays. Luke tells us that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Listen to me. If Jesus Christ recognized his limitations enough that he knew that he needed to take time to care for his soul? How much more do we? If Jesus Christ knew that he needed to take time to root himself in his relationship with God and withdraw to a desolate place and set boundaries. You know, there are all these places in the gospel where, it's, where Jesus says he wouldn't give himself or wouldn't entrust himself to people or he would perform no more miracles there. If Jesus Christ knew that he needed to set limits, how much more do we? We cannot do it all. We need to recognize our finitude. And until you do that, you can't go on this journey. 
I find it interesting that, that how Jesus responds to the disciples. When they come up to him and they're like, hey, can we send the, the crowd away because they're not going to be able to um, eat. How can we, they, you know, we need to send them away so they can get food at the surrounding villages. Verse 37, did you hear it? Jesus responds to them, you give them something to eat. Does that sound odd to anyone? What is Jesus doing? You know what I think he's doing? He's getting them to recognize that they are out of their depth. He's getting to recognize, them to recognize that they are not competent. And they don't have to carry the burden. It's okay. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to him? It's like, this is impossible, Jesus. That's the point. That's the whole point. And his impossible commands force us to learn to depend totally on him. That's why he calls us to impossible things like forgiving those who sin against us 70 times 70 or loving our enemies. See, his call is always precisely to the level of our inadequacy so that we might seek him. So that we might embrace his invitation, which is the second step on the path. Verse 31, Jesus says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. In other words, what he's saying is you need to take time daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, regular time to care for your soul. You need to create space, silence, and solitude. You need to, to do this because space, well, he calls them to create, to go to silence and solitude because the silence reveals. It's in the silence that our restless hearts start revealing themselves. In the solitude. So turn off your phone and block out your calendar. Turn off the TV and the Netflix. It, it's in the space that we can develop the habit of a reflective lifestyle and therein become more substantial people. And it's in the space and the silence that we can embrace our primary call. See, what if God's primary call in your life is not to do more? What if God's primary call in your life is not to perform more? What if God's primary call in your life is to abide deeper? What if God is calling you not so much that part, that, that part and parcel and the primary call and most important thing in the mission of God? We talked about the mission of God last week. What if the most primary thing for the mission of God is for you to live as a liberated human being. And that means that we don't simply preach the liberating word of grace, but we model what it means to be liberated by the grace of God. And that means a life of joy and enjoyment because of all God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what would it look like to live a called life instead of a driven life? 
very practically, what would it look like if you were the woman or man, the husband or father? What if you were the employee or the employer? What if you were the student or the friend who you believe God called you to be and not as opposed to the one every, that you expected other people thought you should be? How would you live differently? What would it look like? Because that's the life that Jesus is inviting you into, a life of abiding in him. Which brings us to the final step. See, it's not simply that you have to recognize your finitude. It's not simply that you need to embrace Jesus' call. But finally, you need to celebrate God's provision. Because here's the truth of the matter. You cannot give your soul what it needs. You were not made to, and you cannot provide for it. But Jesus, he can. And by the way, if you think that you can, then you will continue to live in this endless cycle of restlessness, of trying to bear a burden that you were not meant to bear. Come away with me and rest for a while. Come to me. See, Jesus, he nourished his souls with his teaching, verse 34. And he also nourishes bodies with the heavenly food. Verse 39 says, Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And then it says, verse 40, that they sat in groups like Israel in the wilderness by hundreds and fifties. And like Israel in the wilderness, they were provided for with miraculous food. And taking the five loaves and the two fists, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they all ate and were satisfied. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How was he able to provide for them that day? By denying himself another day. See, the Bible says that Jesus went hungry for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He fasted and he was hungry. And the Bible says that Jesus was thirsty. I thirst, he said from the cross, but he would not drink. He would not eat and he would not drink so that he might give you the bread of life. So that he might give you the living water. So how, how do you drink? By getting away by yourself and meditating on this truth. That he is love. That it is finished. And you are his. That he is love. And it is completely finished. And you are his. 
And when you rest on that, then you can stop. You can stop your anxious striving. You can give up. You can give up your self-salvation projects and your Messiah complexes. And we all have them. And you can rest. You can daily rest in him. Daily. Do you notice in verse 43 and 44, it says that there were 12 small baskets left of leftovers. 5,000 men, plus women and children, and there were only 12 baskets of leftovers. Small baskets, actually the word is. 12 small baskets for 12 disciples. Just enough. And he always gives just enough. He gives us daily bread. So that we might depend on what we need to depend on most. Him. Every day. In Essex, Montana, you will find one of the most beautiful scenes in all the world right in the middle of Glacier National Park. And there, there is an inn called the Isaac Walton Inn. If you go to the Isaac Walton Inn, you will find that they have no TVs, no clocks on the walls. Things are very leisurely there. And their tagline is, a place where time stands still and lets you catch up. Anybody want to go there? Jesus wants to be your Isaac Walton in a place where time stands still and you can catch up. So go to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. Amen.